So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. This is um, a companion piece to a October-November um, episode we did called Doc Talk. That's right. It is Doc Talk Part 2. Yeah. In, uh, in Doc Talk Part 1, I, I most remember our discussion of Minding the Gap, because that was both of our really? favorite. Really? I was thinking Gaga. Oh, Gaga too? I forget, I forgot about Gaga. Um, but uh, yeah, with Minding the Gap up for an Oscar, a, another doc in this batch up for an Oscar, yep. um, the conversation continues. It does. Um, we're going to be talking about um, who is Arthur Chu. That's right. Billboard Boys. Mr. Fish, cartooning off the deep end, I believe, or at the deep end. I think that's right. Of Fathers and Sons. And John McEnroe in the Realm of Perfection. But Good first, batch. we have first impressions. As always. So we're going to watch the trailer for Apollo 11, which is in theaters this Friday and will have been in theaters for probably two or three weeks by the time people hear this. Let's do it. I'd like to know what you feel uh, as far as the responsibilities of representing mankind on this trip. That's uh, relatively difficult to, to answer. Uh, it's a job that we collectively said that was possible and we could do. And, and of course, that the nation itself is backing us so we just sincerely hope that we measure up to that all right we just watched the trailer for the documentary apollo 11 are you excited i am excited this documentary seems to have the right stuff Ooh, nice one thing that i'm not too sure about though is neil armstrong wasn't played by ryan gosling how's that work you took my joke <laughs> it's hard not to think of ryan gosling Corey Stoll, right? <clears throat> Wasn't he the... His, Buzz Aldrin? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think I read that they were even, like, the, the the filmmakers were in conversation with Chazelle last year when they were making it, talking oh, about, really? like, release dates and stuff, and that, and they decided to, to wait rather so than... So you've heard about this. It's been on your radar. Uh, just because it, uh, it, I think it was, people responded well to it at Sundance. I think I heard that oh, okay. people liked it. Um and yeah, I think that there was there was talk about like whether or not like it would be helpful to put it out around first man or wait, and they and they decided to wait like it deserved its kind of own um, space, which yeah. I think is great. Um, and it looks great. Um, I, the that that footage just is kind of awe inspiring, like it should be, as you would expect it to be. And on the big screen, I think it will just be kind of spectacular. It looks beautiful. Yeah. It looks like 70 millimeter film footage mm-hmm. shot beautifully. Some of the close-ups that we get for a few seconds on the thrusters mm. of the rocket while it's firing. Whew. It's good stuff. I can't wait to get back to the moon. Come on, Earth. Mm. We could do it. Take me back, moon. I'm going to go uh, throw my money at the screen so that they know that I'm a big fan of going to the moon. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, IMAX, I think that's the way to see it. And I think it's the only way to see it. Yeah, then it is definitely the way to see it. Um, Yeah, I have no idea what it's about other than the Apollo 11 mission. It doesn't seem to be focused on any other character other than the mission itself and um, 
just logistically how it was accomplished and how yeah. many people it took. Yeah, yeah. The the trailer is clearly not concerned with narrative too much, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Just give me a sense of the, uh, you know, power of the image, and you got me. Yeah, it's it's the existence of Apollo 11, much like Monrovia, Indiana, is the existence mm. of Monrovia, Indiana. Yep. Well said. Let's um, get to a documentary that you recommended called Wrestle. Wrestling is all I do. I would have all my medals, but when my dad got arrested, he confiscated. When you get that scholarship, get that job, and when you provide for your kids, you will understand why we fought. You got a baby to think about. Look around. Everybody out here loves you. You ain't my child. I ain't perfect, but I love you. Let's wrestle! All right, Michael, that's the trailer for Wrestle. What do you think of that? I'm interested. I don't know that uh, sports documentaries are usually at the top of my, you know, priorities list, but... Um, That's why I asked, what do you think of mm-hmm. that in that way? Yes, it's... Uh, but it was picked up by Oscilloscope. That's what put it on my radar. Um, I don't know that there's anything um, um, terribly surprising about what the trailer um, is suggesting it is. Um, it looks like it's... Um, you know, a story of kids trying to pursue their dreams and wrestling, as, you know, you would expect. Um, but uh, it looks like it's um, probably emotional. Um, uh, yeah. What do you think? I love fighting. I love mm. MMA. I love wrestling. I love uh, sports documentaries. I love mm. uh, achievement documentaries in the face of uh, desperate times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is my catnip, dude. This yeah. is uh, it reminds me of the fighter, which is a um, a local documentary for mm. us that was made about a um, MMA fighter who's never risen in the ranks beyond um, just kind of a fringe fighter who people mm. fight to get a leg up um, in the Tacoma area, um, which was on Hulu last time I checked. If you're interested, mm. oh, cool. um, and it's very reminiscent of watching like Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler, starring Mickey Rourke. But it's a real story about a real guy who has real problems and real addictions to fighting. And yeah, um, this seems a lot like that, where it's you know this um, white kid it has his father in jail, and mm. when his father went to jail, all of his medals were taken and his awards. Uh, there's an African American boy who's being parented by someone who's not really his mom, who seems to have a kid on the way. Um, there's two other boys that that it also centers around, and it's about this opportunity to become a state champion. I know you're not as well versed in um, fighting in sports, but you know when when you're watching really successful wrestlers, it can lead to enormous opportunities financially. Um, currently, the double um, holder of the or previously the double holder of the belt for heavyweight and um, light heavyweight was mm. Daniel Cormier. Um, who is an Olympian wrestler. So when you're seeing wrestlers succeed, you're you're not just seeing these kids succeeding at something. It's if they do well enough, they're going to carve a path for so much money they can take care of their kids as kids. Yeah. And from yeah. the dire straits they're starting out at, it's, it's uh, g- gravitating. Yeah, yeah. The stakes are very real. There are really complex things wrapped up in in their goals beyond just the winning of a medal um yeah um it you know it has kind of a minding the gap kind of feel to me for sure um 
I love hoop dreams. You know, they even there was a tagline in there about it feeling like a hoop dreams. Um, yeah, I, I hope it gets uh, I hope it gets a theatrical release. Um, I some imagine stuff we'll does. be seeing it at the Grand Illusion. It's very like possible. most other oscilloscope yeah. productions. Oh, you know what? I take that back. It was uh, it kind of cropped up in my radar because it was at uh, Northwest Film Forum. That's where oh, I saw really? it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I just remember that now. Um, Did it already that's cool. leave, or are we going to be able to watch it? I don't think it has come yet. Like awesome. a month out or so? so. Yeah. We'll be watching. Doc Talk Part 3. Part 3. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, that's Russell. I, I'm a big fan of this documentary already. Dope. All right. How you want to start this sucker? We got five docs. We got five we got a lot to talk about. We do. Well, uh, do you want to start off with... of fathers and sons that is a brutal way to start this thing okay. i know I, th- I thought it might be easier to just just do it to just do it okay 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 <laughs> yes the director's name's already escaping me but it's talal Durkey. Hmm. Um, Durkey, yes I think that's right um nominated for an oscar that's what put it on my radar um, also, it, just for everyone, it is streaming for free from Canopy. If you have a library service that is connected to Canopy, you can watch this documentary as well. Yeah, just awesome. Um, I had seen it; kind of, it kind of came on my radar as people were shocked that "Won't You Be My Neighbor" didn't get nominated, and that this one did. Um, you know what I'm really happy about is that mm. people are talking about how "Won't You Be My Neighbor" not getting nominated. Mm. And everyone forgot about the piece of trash that is Three Identical Strangers. Ooh. Yeah, you were not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> Episode one, callback. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I was deeply moved by this documentary. Um, I was left feeling kind of despondent by the end of it. Um, I very much um, appreciated that it did not opt for any you know voiceover narration except for at the very beginning and the very ending mm-hmm. um yeah uh, th- there are small moments yeah some 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 comments here or there but it's or uh, actions which yeah we'll get to um no talking heads no um no stats on the screen um i think he knows that the the images speak for themselves and i think that feels like the right move yeah the if the images don't speak for themselves the ideology that they're repeating certainly does oof yeah yeah um i think yeah one i forget who it was i think it was michael sasinski who said for him it was kind of like watching kids play in traffic that's kind of how unbearable it was for him to watch and i I think that's that's a fair analogy um and yeah, I, I uh, you know it, it's it's kind of hard to talk about because I, I I 
don't find myself eager to like dissect the form here so much. And I think this for me is very much about the content. Um, yeah, there's too many restrictions to review this based on form. Mm-hmm. Is what I'd say because uh, we have a Syrian refugee who is now a resident of Germany, who has gone back to Syria and feigned his support for the incursion of Sharia law and the subjugation of anyone that is not willing to submit to the caliphate through Mm -hmm. violence. And there is no room for him to do artistic things with the form. Yeah, of course. In these conditions. In these conditions of air raid bombs, of Russian military jets flying overhead, of the person he's filming having multiple sniper rifles and shooting innocent people far away on bikes. Yeah. Of children practicing science by creating citric acid bombs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is just a... It it is what in America we would call another world. But in reality, this is what's happening half the world away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you can... You can read an article about something like this and know it and understand it, but you know to see it is to feel it. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think it's 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 pretty um, pretty devastating stuff. It just you know it left me kind of um, just with that feeling of hopelessness with like how can you ever the thought of never being able to have a conversation with somebody who's had something so ingrained in them for their entire life that's it just you know it just uh, really reinforces sort of the impasse that you you were you ever filled with irony when you think about the fact that like when you boot up you have an iphone i think that Mm. he has an iphone in the phone oh yeah yeah so you know what you listen to on your iphone right Mm -hmm. aesop rocky perhaps a a film podcast Mm -hmm. um He's listening to things about murdering anyone who disagrees with him. Yeah. Or he's looking up things about explosives. Yeah. Or things about his religion and his beliefs. Yeah. He's never looking up criticisms of his religion and ways of thinking more um, contrarianly, mm-hmm. which will come back in Mr. Fish. He mm. He's not really... Our main character here is never doing anything besides what he thinks will give him paradise mm-hmm. which is to me absolutely revolting yeah yeah and it's... and honestly the whole film while good is revolting yeah because we're we're watching his his kid right the first thing that his kid says is no and i think the second thing he says is part of a prayer mm-hmm. after he scurries to his father's arm yeah yeah it's hard it's some, really yeah, some of these watch. kids are so little. And and we watch the the boy jump into a swimming pool after, as we watch it filled from the back of a pickup truck. And mm. 20 minutes later, we watch that boy doing crunches and live fire. And I think seven minutes after that, we see him um, just, you know, straight up in the military, you know? Yeah. It, this is yeah. like watching a documentary about the child soldiers of Africa. It is the same exact thing. It is just yeah. a different doctrine. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, don't, I, I haven't had very many film experiences about um, child soldiers, but I was kind of thinking about Peace of No Nation. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that one? I did. Yeah. yeah great. Film. Effective. Yeah. Terry Joji Fukunaga. Yeah, yeah. Your guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, how you tackled this stuff in documentary versus 
uh, the fictional formats, I think, kind of interesting. I think. Um, well, how, especially this subject, how you tackle this thing mm-hmm. without getting outed or killed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the most singular moment in the entire piece is when he is in the um, countryside in a hovel that appears to be really well camouflaged with a small hole that his Mm. subject is firing a sniper rifle out of and shoots someone on a motorbike. Yeah. And he says, my gun jammed. I Mm. got him down on the ground, but my gun's jammed. Hand me my other gun. And we can feel the documentarian trying to not give him the gun for as long as possible while still keeping up the thing. And there's a fellow behind our subject who says, hurry up, give him the gun. And he finally reaches it out. And right when he's putting it up and gets the sight and is ready to fire, we hear him say, they got him. They took him away. So we ostensibly hope that he's been saved. Yeah. But that's only because the documentarian literally just put his life on the line. So even though we're saying that, like, he doesn't have a voice in this thing, Mm. like... You feel his presence. He could have just saved that guy's life by taking that one extra second risking himself yeah and i yeah. i'm in the middle of reading uh david mitchell's bone clocks which spends a lot mm. of time in the middle east uh with one of its characters um during some terrorist attacks in afghanistan and stuff mm. and it feels very much like that because in in that book he's he has to get people from the region to help him that are sympathetic with him so mm. they're also putting themselves on the line for westerners and mm. within this uh documentary narrative he gets this great shot that's really well edited where he's where the subject is talking about different quotes of the hadith that mm. mean um why they're at war that mean the coming armageddon that mean what a westerner is and what a, mm. how a roman is really a european based on their interpretation of the specific line of the hadith um it, it's a really great document documentary at at depicting what they actually believe i think Especially yeah. when um when he's lost his the lower portion of his foot and mm. he goes and encounters all those men on the street that are laying on a blanket. Oh, and one yeah. of them yeah. and one guy's telling him to sit down, calm down. And the other guy's saying, I'm gonna murder your mother and, and you yeah. know, it's yeah. yeah. It's just uh this is a very hard subject. Yeah. And I have a lot of personal feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the the chronology of stuff, you know, um, you know, it, it it kind of unfolds in a you know a, a pretty straightforward way, but yeah, thinking about just before we see that the guy has gotten his leg blown off, that's it's just the cut before there that we've seen the kids building a bomb. Well, they're um, jumping on the citric acid bottle, yeah, and it's not exploding, and then through a miracle, it explodes when none of them are by it. Yeah, and then yeah. the next shot we see is him waking up, and he's got a. Does he have stitches by his eye? Why does yeah. he have cuts? Yeah. And then we slowly, after a minute, peel down and zoom out, and we see that he's missing a foot, it appears. Yeah. But there's so mm. much bandage, we think that he still has his whole leg. Yeah, kind and of then unclear. And then about seven minutes later, we see that he's only got half of his calf and his yeah. shin bone, and that he's missing a lot more. Yeah. And then, mm. I think by the end, it's six months later, and he's finally wearing a prosthetic because he's healed enough. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know... It, uh, at once you you see this guy feeling the most bodily pain laying in bed in agony and you wish that he wouldn't feel that and then you also remember that this is a terrible person that attempted to murder someone in front of us yeah 
that yeah. beats his children on the street. Yeah. Has supports terrible ideas, right? Yeah. And I mean, the title of the of this documentary is "Of Fathers and Sons," right? Yeah. How yeah. many times did you see an adult woman? Oh yeah, it's a handful of occasions. No, you didn't see an adult woman once. You don't an think adult so? Woman? An oh, adult I guess maybe they were kids. No. You yeah. saw a girl. You saw schoolgirls in that school setting. Yeah. And then you saw a girl once, I think, in the beginning, and then you hear his two-year-old cousin get cussed out by our subject because mm. she's walking outside of the house. Oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this this is a, a series of terrible ideas and it is documented incredibly daringly. Yeah. It is very yeah. much part of that um what is that other Syrian documentary that is a lot more endearing and hopeful and and mm. uh, kind. Do you do you know the one I'm talking about where they're the white cross um fellows? Oh, um yeah, that came out like yeah last year or the year before. Yeah. Um, white was it the white helmets? Is that what it was called? It, it was about the white helmets. Um, yeah. Our city of ghosts was it maybe that one? No, there there have been a couple. But, yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm talking about? Where basically yeah. by the end of the documentary, I think that every single person that was helping people in Syria had died. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this is very much the companion piece of showing us who is maybe committing some of those murders of the yeah. white helmets and. Yeah. While it does make us sympathetic to these humans, it, it makes their actions inexcusable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's pretty disheartening to say the least. Yeah, um, yeah. Watching uh, the two brothers, you know, hug and say goodbye to each other as one's being sent off to the training camp, just devastating. Um, <clears throat> How about those end uh, subtitles when? It says that uh, I will never see what it, what was his name Osama. I will never yeah. see Osama again. Death has divided us. Yeah, leaving once, it open yeah. whether or not Osama is dead or whether or not Osama would kill him. Yeah, because yeah. he is technically turning his back on the faith. Yeah, he's becoming like a teacher, I think, right? Something like that. The brother who's not being sent. To yes, the camp. yeah. yeah. The, the brother who's not be, who's not part of the military is taking care yeah. of the other kids and pursuing yeah. schooling. I think is in college at, at that point in time. But um, yeah, it, it really speaks to what happens if you become an apostate of mm. Islam in those yeah. few words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, with respect to the form, I mean, I think you know, the only thing that I, you can say is kind of what he doesn't do and, and, and the edit itself where I think he, you know, he does just just connect the images in such a way that it, it does they do really accumulate yeah uh, i think in it's their in their effect as much as the form of what he shot maybe isn't great mm-hmm. the editing is incredible yeah it's really well thought out the way that yeah. he strews the or construes those images together and cuts from one to the other especially in the bottle scene for instance oh yeah yeah that's the kind of scene where you just want to cover your eyes mm-hmm. like waiting for it to happen terrible but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not very often that the Oscars, Oscar nominations come out and there's something that like was just completely off my radar. Um, I think that's kind of uh, exciting. When... Yeah, this is one of those few genres in the Oscars where I actually respect the votes. Yeah. Of who gets nominated. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, you're show- you nominated something I didn't have on my radar, wouldn't have had on my radar if you didn't tell me it was even a thing kind of like yeah. Copernicum which we're going to go oh, see yeah. this week 
and thanks you know thanks academy for taking yeah. the time to see this stuff 100 percent. yeah they get some things right they do not all not all that is of fathers and sons <sighs> we want to talk about next something a little bit less um murderous so we That's could choose fair. anything <laughs> we got nowhere to go but <clears throat> in happiness. Um, well, let's start with one of our indie choices. Which one do you want to go with? How about Mr. Fish? He is doing really what editorial cartoonists are meant to do. This guy has balls. <laughs> I think it's the responsibility of every artist to reflect the times in which they live. That's why Mr. Fish's work is really important. It's not a dying profession. It is a profession that is being systematically murdered. Mr. Fish. A rather short flick. I want to say this is 70 minutes, maybe? Yeah, hour 10. 70 I minutes. That's how that, that translates. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was pretty tight. Um, probably one of our happier endings of these indie documentaries. Even though he'd been laid off by Whole Foods, that was all that happened. He was still with his wife. He still yeah. had his children. He was still pursuing his art true relatively <laughs> happy yes yes i i mean compared to the other endings <laughs> yes yes exactly certainly the most optimistic yes. even though difficult times may lie ahead um yeah we got yeah. some downers this week <laughs> we did yeah we do um were you familiar at all with mr fish um i had seen i think maybe two or three of his trump cartoons because those are just so widely circulated on the internet yeah. now um, and I think I'd seen one of his Hillary's and um, then I think through a friend I had been sent that one about um, I need more money to finish my piece of work and the piece mm -hmm. of work is the guy that he's asking money from and then it says asshole but it's unfinished oh yeah 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 I kind of realized partway through that I've probably seen more of his stuff and just not even realized it um, as I, I'm, I'm recognizing this stuff, but I couldn't tell you where I might have spotted it. But, you know, certain things look familiar. Yeah. But maybe that's just kind of the nature of certain the style of kind yeah. of political cartoons. It's, it's very much a cult cartoon yeah. type of a yeah. style. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, an, an interesting guy in how relentlessly he kind of pursues his art um, with, uh, um, with some cynicism, for sure of uh the powers that be um you know i think the doc is willing to kind of show the toll that it takes on his family mm -hmm. um i think uh there which was, is uh, interesting because there's a point in the film where he begins to explain how he was affected by the fact that his parents didn't manage their money responsibly yeah and that he lost his mom because of it and then he's doing the exact same thing to his wife and his kids yeah and i it, was like you don't you don't see what you're doing yeah 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 there's uh a, a part where the wife says something about how lonely it is to be with someone who's so cynical or so um kind of dis disillusioned with with uh with the power structures he's attacking um that 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 stung um yeah. and uh um you know i think uh the the doc maybe could have could have let him off the hook but i think some of that footage does reveal sort of the consequence of um being so devoted to this 
passion. Yeah. Um, which I think is uh, fairly even-handed. Um, yeah. Um, you know, they they uh, they talk a little bit about you know him, um, you know, the death of print and how he's kind of being forced to. Um, show his art in different platforms and that kind of thing and how that's it's going online and um that struck me as kind of interesting like i do think there is sort of a unique um resonance of a political cartoon when you see it in a paper right next to the news that it's commenting on um i do think that's something like i never really thought about that when you know in contrast to watching it or seeing it in a gallery which we see at one point Mm -hmm. um it just made me think a little bit about like the um effect of the kind of platform in which you see art like this the context yeah a gallery you know frees you up to talk to the person next to you about it but i think there's also something um about seeing it in the newspaper like especially after an article that so you're already in a frame of mind you're thinking something specific and then it's acting on that yeah yeah exactly that that is a lost art form and i mean as much as we want him to succeed and and make a profit you can't put dicks in publicly circulated newspapers that children pick up. Not today. It, it should be pretty easy for him to understand that, you know. Yeah. B- because even even though he he and I see eye to eye on a lot of things about free speech and contrarianism, but I mean, if he had a three year old daughter walking in the street that picked up a piece of paper that had a phallus on it, he probably wouldn't want his three year old daughter to pick that up and see that and that's what the problem is that he can't seem to negotiate with yeah 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 where Um, as his previous editor told him if you just let me censor your work we could sell it and then people would go seek the uncensored work yeah 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 he he is quite uh he, he has a stiff backbone in in what he in what he believes um that's that comes across quite clearly um yeah i mean i think if anything i think you know i think and if anything the documentary i think could have pushed him even more about even that very first story like you just said where he's talking about having uh thrown paper airplanes you know Mm -hmm. outside his window um and uh it i think it says you know up your ass or something like that fuck Um, your ass yeah yeah um you know, if, you know, where does he, you know, sort of see um, provocation kind of become something more than provocation? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know that I have an answer to that. Just interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, th- there is a certain art to being a provocateur that is necessary for culture's I- existence. Because even if someone's criticizing something incorrectly, you need to hear all of the sides of criticism that can be voiced so that you're aware of them. Yeah. It, it'd be like, you know, oh, there's a mountain, but we don't know what its elevation is. You you need yeah. to know what, what it really looks like on the ground. And that's what his cartooning at bare minimum provides is a mapping of, you know, what the boundary conditions of our culture are in this version. The thing yeah. is, newspaper's dead. And yeah. it goes on continuously to talk about how it's hard for cartoonists to get publication and make a living and that it's a, a dying or dead art form. And it is, but 
there are other ways for artists to create a profit. You can make a, yeah. a comic. You can yeah. um, try to get into fine arts. You can, you know, sell out, go corporate. You can make things that people want in the Huffington Post. Yeah. Or you can get a totally different job completely. Yeah. But then they go on to say that the um, the art form is now absent from America. Mm. And that specific art form might be. Mm-hmm. But they never mention the fact that memes have mm-hmm. completely replaced political cartooning and how widely circulated memes are now and yeah. how it just it is a much more direct and um, logically more useful piece of criticism of culture. So if the argument mm-hmm. that they're making is that culture is no longer being criticized adequately, mm-hmm. I would absolutely disagree because memes mm-hmm. are proof that you can criticize culture really quickly, really effectively, and for free. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, in a sense, maybe it's kind of the opposite. It's that it's so widespread that it any one piece is... Um, it doesn't, you know, resonate in the same way as when you look at one piece in the newspaper. Exactly. Um, because you're seeing it in the, um, you know, flood of imagery that you see on the web. Um, yeah, and I think that maybe memes have almost created more of a voice for themselves as an art form. Like yeah. when we talk about memes, it's almost an art form now. And where when we talk about political cartoons, we go, oh yeah, that's that part of the paper, which is the mm. paper is an art form. I don't know if we ever thought about political cartoons as an art form, as a culture. And I think that that might be where the swell left political cartoons behind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think, uh, do you you see, do you see memes as, as an art form? Sounds like. I think that they definitely are an art form. I don't know that I necessarily love them or, or, or anything like that, but there's just so much work going on that that it'd be like just because I don't like most country doesn't mean country is not an art form. Yeah. So I I, ha- yeah. I would have to say that memes are an art form, and all yeah. of them are created indifferently. You know, I'm more yeah. partial to gifts myself, but that is almost <laughs> well, an I, extension of the meme, right? I like a good gif. <laughs> <laughs> there are many gifts exchanged between these two podcasters <laughs> there there is <laughs> yes quite a few yeah. desks and chairs are thrown in oh, reference yeah. to thunder road <laughs> oh yeah yeah um yeah i think it's uh you know a, g- a good doc in that it you know sort of uh can can stoke a conversation um about uh kind of the value of the art he creates art like it the right platform just you know like we're having um i i i think it maybe just could have gone even a step further in sort of maybe um it, it kind of exploring what what the what effect that maybe has on his, his marriage and the family situation i just felt like there were there was material there that i would have liked to have maybe have just understood a little bit more um, yeah yeah um but um yeah, I mean, I think uh, for anybody who has an interest in political cartoons, this is probably the doc for you. Yeah, it, it's it's really unfortunate that there's not a way for him to monetize mm-hmm. with his style. It really makes no sense that there's not like a a digital version of Vanity Fair where you have to sign in and be over 18 or have parental permission to look at 
some more mature content you know yeah because yeah. that would just be a perfect fit of a publication you know vanity fair is, yeah. is where the great contrarian writers have, have been especially most notably christopher hitchens mm. you know and i would love to see mr fish's art in the same publication that published hitchens for decades yeah it would just yeah. be a good fit but like the fact that he can't strike some sort of a deal just to animate some sort of a an r-rated cartoon for netflix that would be in the same venue as uh mm. the duplass brothers uh animals on hbo yeah. is just astounding to me because that little bit of a cartoon that we get in the documentary was great i wanted to watch yeah. that cartoon it was yeah. good yeah i'm trying to i think it got canceled that's what they yeah, said right? they canceled yeah. it during production yeah yeah and yeah. bummer and it's you know i I understand why an independent studio would have to cancel it, but why Netflix wouldn't reach out to this voice that would basically just elevate their brand and, and bring in more people to their platform. It's just absurd. Yeah. <laughs> I sense your frustration. <laughs> it's here. It's probably it has arrived. I, I might disagree with quite a few of his individual stances on things, but he is such a, fascinating artist that the fact that we don't get to interact with him and disagree with mm. him as an artist in our everyday lives is very disappointing yeah yeah i would agree um but at least it sounds like he's sticking with it yeah so he can still find a uh good break and his wife is still uh working her ass off so that he can continue to share his art with the world as much as we are That's able right. to take it in yeah Go her. Go her. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't have a lot else. You? Um, I think that one of the great things about this documentary is the animation editing oh, yeah. of his cartoons. It was really seamlessly um, cut together. And some of those fade-ins, fade-outs from one piece to the next, where they would mm -hmm. layer them over each other, mm -hmm. was just really damn good editing. Yeah. Just smooth, scene to scene. And uh, one of the only documentaries where I was like, I gotta watch these credits. I have oh, yeah. To watch these credits. <laughs> yeah. They keep you around till the end. Yeah. It's good stuff. Any closing thoughts from you on this one? Um, I know uh, we watched this via screener, but I think this is on Prime Video. So I think folks can uh, go check it out. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Streaming where available. That's Mr. Fish. Who are we gonna talk about now? How about a little Arthur Chu? Little, who is Arthur Chu? My dad always taught me, with good reason, that there's value in a simple life, a life without jeopardy, as little as possible. A steady job, you know, keeping your head down, avoiding controversy, avoiding conflict. I had all that. And now, I started saying yes to those jeopardies instead of saying no. Who? Who? Chu? Arthur Chu. Yes. <laughs> so I had an interesting experience with this documentary where I'd never watched Jeopardy before. Netflix released the Tournament of Champions um, compendium series to streaming in December. And that was my first exposure to it. And it was like the generational Tournament of Champions or something. So you're watching the champions of the 1980s compete against the champions of the 1990s, compete against the champions of the 2000s and so on. And then they the champion of the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s uh -huh. would each compete against each other. Yeah. And I'm just watching this guy who's playing the game like no one else just destroy these bitches. 
Yeah. I was like, yeah, this guy's awesome. Who is this dude? Fuck yeah. And I'm like, oh, he's Arthur Chu. Cool. Ah. But I hear there's a documentary about Arthur Chu. I'm like, what? Is it just about him murdering bitches? Because I want to watch that. <laughs> just a montage of him just constantly winning. Yeah, that's what I wanted to watch. And that is not what this documentary ended up being about at all. It's more about what psychologically is going on with him. Yeah. And how he sees reality. And it has nothing to do with his almost savant-like ability to play this specific game of Jeopardy. Yeah. Which was interesting right because we have the intro where there's an interview with alex trebek yeah and that's it that's all the trebek that we get and then Very brief. We're, we're just on to the fact that like wow he has a wife and she's like taking care of him much like we had in mr fish mm-hmm. and he's openly telling us kind of like mr fish was that he can't have a job yeah he can't do it yeah <clears throat> and you're like okay and then he's spending all this time looking at his phone, looking at the internet, mm-hmm. when his wife is across from him, or mm-hmm. literally talking to him. Yeah. And he's, he, yeah. he's giving one-line answers and then dwelling on this stuff. And I thought that, as a documentary, it was a very... I thought the way, in retrospect, that I, I viewed it was I had these expectations of this is a Jeopardy documentary about yeah. a great champion who I did not know anything about Jeopardy and I thought this guy was awesome he was like my gladiator in Jeopardy I loved this guy yeah and then it starts with like maybe being a fluff piece about him and slowly devolves Mm. into like this guy's destroying himself and tearing himself apart Mm. I thought that was a very interesting documentary in retrospect while I was watching it I didn't always know what it was and I don't think that the documentarians even knew what they were going to get because this is so much just the effects of life happening to a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the title alone, who is Arthur Chu, makes it sound like it's going to be the, kind of this investigative work and we're getting instead kind of a lot from him about what he uh, values and what he is wanting to do and how he wants to try to leverage the fame that he's garnered from mm-hmm. Jeopardy um, and how he's trying to sort of um, uh, lead lead that into some uh, speaking engagements and that sort of thing um, about uh, um, nerd culture, internet bullying. Um, well, he, more than that, it's about proselytizing an agenda against what he believes are people that victimized him because he views mm. the world as a, as a series of powers and he wants to leverage any power he has to acquire more powerful pe- for people who he thinks deserve it yeah. instead of taking the power that he already has and treating it responsibly which is yeah. mm. you know the ignoring of his marriage the ignoring of the relationships that he actually already has um, yeah. some of those really painful moments with his father where it's like you're acting like a dick to your dad mm. for no reason. You know, yeah, you know, it, it's yeah. not like I don't understand why you have this pent up aggression towards him, but you're in your twenties, late twenties, early thirties, late thirties. Yeah. You can probably just try to have a conversation with an adult about whatever your problems are instead of letting it build up in you. And at one point he says, um, "I just have to." 
I am anger basically is what he says. And I have to present that to the world. Yeah. And it was just like yeah. that, that basically summed up the problem of him that, that he's, he's seeking anger and he's seeking um, to lash out at things and mm. to hold on to things in a concrete way mm. instead of acknowledging that life is in flux and that his dad did mess up. But now his dad yeah. is trying to be a good dad and a nice person and, you know, he's not allowing room for the ebb and flow of life. Yeah. And it's yeah. slowly destroying him, as we see by the end of the documentary. Yeah, yeah. If anything, I, I, I could have maybe used more time. Maybe the maybe the footage just didn't allow it. But, um, you know, Arthur talks so much about how he thinks his sort of identity is wrapped up in his ancestry and who his parents are. Um, mm-hmm. I think some of the most interesting moments are most definitely these scenes where he's with his father with his mother um and i think those were kind of the most human moments for me um that i i think if anything i could have just used um more of to to really get at um the way in which that does kind of inform who he is um i i would maybe think that the documentarians maybe gave him just a little bit too much space to um sort of um preach about what he believes in i I think i i think i do mostly agree with what he um the change he kind of wants to bring about but um i'm not sure that him talking about it made for quite as engaging of a doc as as it might have been um had they... It also wasn't too factually accurate. While he mm. has general claims that are very reasonable and I can agree with, he makes bigger leaps that are mm. more stringent, that have boundary conditions on truth, mm. that are factually inaccurate, that he is saying out loud. And that's where it's like, you're not dealing in the real world. And, and mm. we're seeing these moments with his father, with his wife, mm. where it's like, as much as you want all this change, you're like 100% the problem in your own relationships. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's what I kept seeing. Like, you know, as much as we all want to have a great code of moral ethics, our first responsibility before having a code of moral ethics is treating the people that we're in relationships with well. And he can't even do that. So why should we trust him to tell us how to behave? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I guess my only response would be that, you know, he he sees these problems that, you know, like uh, the depiction of women in video games and um, the and kind of an obsession with media. Um, and, you know, you, you could argue that the documentary is sort of um, trying to expose his own hypocrisy. At the same time, like, I'm, I'm maybe willing to forgive him a little bit that nobody is perfect about what they preach. Um, mm-hmm. you know, to, to show him on the phone when he's with his wife. I don't know that it feels to me super revelatory or like that much of a um, takedown of him. But I, I do feel like the, the documentarians maybe gave him just too much space to try and explain what his mission is when I think some of the more interesting material was... Um, truncated when it's those moments with the family that's something that we couldn't get from um, an essay that he's written Mm -hmm. Um, or you know a moment like when he's at the convention and 
one of the other panelists says, I'm afraid to be in this room right now. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I, I just wonder if there were some, some of these moments of, of, of some, some real humanity that I think felt very different from him just kind of talking about um, his values that to me made for a little bit more of um, an involving kind of viewing experience than just kind of being talked at by him. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would have enjoyed less of a social commentary focus. Yeah. Yeah. Than we got. But it seems to me that his identity is a social identity, not mm. an individual identity, and that perhaps mm. that is the purpose of the documentary. Mm. Um, the fact that when he is being talked at by these people that care about him, that are talking to him about himself. Right? Mm-hmm. His father just watched his speech and said, I think that you are saying really good things that are important. And here is a note that I have for you. Talk slower so that people have oh, time to digest and hear you. Yeah. And he acts like an asshole to his dad. Yeah. Or when his wife is trying to talk to him about the logistics of just their relationship. And he's mm-hmm. ignoring her and not hearing her and staring at his phone and and. You know, I think that that is kind of the meat of it, that he wants to be a social creature, mm. but to be a social creature, you have to have individual interactions like you and I are having right now. We're individually talking to each other and he can't accomplish that goal. Yeah. Yeah. He operates in the social world through this veneer of a screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are definitely the best moments. There's the scene too, where he's at a hotel room with his brother and sister, mm-hmm. which I think is also pretty brief. That might be, maybe there's another scene where we see them, but I think it's the brother who's like, yeah, I don't see the value in what he's doing. He's, he's so um, open and straightforward about it. Um, and uh, uh, the sister is similarly um, sort of, um, disillusioned with him yeah yeah yeah. um i think those i think sometimes the best way to understand a person is to listen to the people around them um i you know i think they they help to sort of color in um you know what it's like to 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 actually have to deal with this person yeah 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 exactly what else you got blanket for a moment i I think i covered most of what i think about who is arthur true there you go don't think this is streaming anywhere, if I remember correctly. Actually, I take that back. I think this is on Prime Video. Yeah, it might be on Prime. If yeah. not, it's rentable. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where I watched this myself. I think this is on Prime Video. I watched yeah. this on the screener. But... Yeah, yeah. Um, there is yeah. one singular shot at the very end that is gorgeous. And it kind of took me off mm. guard because the previous film is, is very much just like a, a walk and talk. You know, it's mm. it's either a sit and interview talk or it's a walk while he's, you know, going around in the world. And then at the end, I, it might be in China. It could be in America. It's this street with mm. lights and it's dusk mm. and it's just a gorgeous shot. Yeah. And it totally took me off guard because it's it's, you know, not the prettiest documentary. You know, we're, we're yeah, going yeah. around in convention centers where... <laughs> We're in, pretty some, bland. <laughs> we're in some pretty seedy places, um, some pretty um, crowded areas. I mean, you, you know, it, it's basically the complete contrast of Arthur Chu's home. 
yeah. which is this very crammed living space that seems to be perpetually messy. Um, and then we're in this beautiful, clean nightscape almost. Yeah, yeah, a very refreshing change of scenery yeah. after uh, so much bland, nondescript I, I guess I do have a question. Did you feel mm. relief for the wife when you saw that they were divorced or separated rather now? Uh, yeah. I did too. Yeah, I think uh, she can pursue what she wants to do. She was talking about writing a book, I think. Writing a book, yeah. And she was still working on her book and is now working, or was when this was released, um, or finished editing, working part-time in a veterinary hospital. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Good for her. It sounds like <laughs> that she's... That sounds condescending. Like... I mean, like, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's <laughs> great that she's pursuing her happiness. Yes. Instead of... Um, that is important. Constantly pushing against someone who's perpetually angry at his yeah. own admission. Yeah, for sure. Maybe talk about her. Yeah. Who is Arthur Chu's ex-wife? <laughs> All right. That's how you sell books. Yeah. On to the next one. On to the next one. What do we have? I'm just going to go climb up on a billboard and sell some pot. Oh, yeah. I'll be down at the local precinct in a couple days <laughs> totally normal right <laughs> it is in the documentary billboard boys about the 1981 1982 competition of three men to stay on a billboard and whoever is the last man standing gets a home a That's right. um, mobile home mobile home yes yeah but a uh, home nevertheless <laughs> that's right um three pretty uh ordinary everyday kind of guys um yeah three guys that drink beer and uh seem to chop wood yeah one guy was entered by his mom loved that um i think he was the, ret- he was the returning vet yeah um yeah i adored this doc um i thought it was just so earnest and uh good-hearted as were it many of the people like in it. It feels like a town of people just talking nice. Oh, most definitely. Right? Because uh, you're cutting from talking head to talking head to talking head. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows what everyone's talking about. And everyone's just a nice person. Like, you never oh, encountered yeah. an asshole in the whole no. doc. No. Maybe Dalton. But, like, he's a nice asshole. He's an asshole yeah. you can root for. Yeah. Wait, Dalton, was he the showboating guy? He was the pot dealer. Oh, he was the pot dealer. Oh, you thought he was an asshole? I thought he was nice. No, I think that he's nice, but, you know, in the documentary, we see that he was kind of an, a competitive asshole. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. You know, not yeah, like yeah. an asshole asshole, but like, a, yeah. he's going to behave like an asshole to win. Yeah, yeah. Like a good winner would do. A home is on the line. Exactly. Gotcha. Kind of like Arthur Chu would do in Jeopardy. Very true. <laughs> oh, connections. Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, sometimes the uh, the content just speaks for itself. I just, I really enjoyed the company of all these people who clearly were so blown away by this having gone on so much longer than they ever thought it would. Um, I just thought so many of these people seemed so um, humble. Um, and I think the, the documentary does a pretty good job of not being, you know, sort of tying this in with the... Um, economic situation of the time and how um, 
this was driven by, you know, just uh, the need, the want for a home when that was so hard to to come by. What, um, what was really nice about it is that, that it yeah. was focused on the economics, not the politics. Yeah. Even when they talked about Reagan, they were talking about economics. Yeah. They were yeah. not talking about the political sphere or any of that. So it was the Rust Belt's dying. Yeah. Bethlehem Steel was our biggest job provider. They went bankrupt at $1.2 billion, I think that it said. Yeah. Um, and every, basically everyone in this part of the world was out of jobs. Yeah. And every single one of our Billboard contestants I could see working in a factory of Bethlehem Steel. Definitely. So it was heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. And I think it would be just really easy to like um, slide into that sort of um, mode in a too, in too heavy handed of a fashion, but it never like takes the story away from the guys. Like it always no. feels like I am still understanding just what this meant to them, how bad they wanted to win, how bad they wanted that house. It never just how meant... many times they would shit in a bucket yes. to win this thing. Oh yeah. Um, it, it, it very easily, I think could have become something um, a little too severe about like, oh yeah, they, they were exploited. I think that would take something away from them. Um, and it manages to uh, maintain a very kind of lightheartedness. Um, well, they, they even do talk about being exploited at yeah, one point. Yeah. But it's great because the filmmakers are shrewd enough to know and get the correct interviews that show that they were not being exploited. They were exploiting the fact that they could exploit the idea of them being exploited. Yes. And that's what makes it good. Yeah, the, it's That's so the depth to it. It's so entertaining when they start trying to turn this around on the radio station. On the uh, uh, what's the McMillionaire? Yeah, yeah, they're like, you know, what? we want two homes. We're not going anywhere. We both want a house. No, uh, that was before the. Um, I think it started happening before he got arrested, right? When they wanted three um, homes, yeah. it, like they would have come down for three homes. Yeah, and then there was yeah. that interview where the guy wanted to give them all homes and just get them down off the billboard. And that's mm. when the Wall Street Journal piece was written? Yeah. 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 Um, so she effectively took three homes away. Wow. What a evil journalist. She has to live with that. <laughs> that is painful. Yeah, it is. It made uh, her career. <laughs> it, it, is, it is crazy, just like we were talking about before recording, how this was as sensational as it was. Um, it, it, feels, it feels like kind of a small story somehow. Um, by by today's standards, I guess I don't know. Even as I say that, it doesn't feel quite well, right. It's just so um, small locally. Like it's yeah. these two guys, and it's a small period of time in their lives, and that's all this is about. Yeah. And there's a third guy, but he's dead now. So we we are yeah. only getting these interviews from these two guys. Yeah. And then I think the dead guy's wife. Yeah. 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 So it it is just so small and local, and we're talking about Dylan Pot from a billboard we're talking about three guys yeah. living on a billboard we're talking about shitting in buckets on a billboard i don't yeah. know about you it never comes up in the documentary but i was like what about the muscle atrophy how are oh, you yeah. avoiding muscle atrophy because i yeah. i'm what i was watching the expanse while i was doing all these documentaries so mm. deeply involved in sci-fi and muscle atrophy is kind of a major thing that happens in space so i was like what's going on here that was like top of my mind <laughs> jumping jacks I, jumping jacks lot... push-ups squats like you gotta you gotta wake up and do that every single day if you're staying in that yeah. small of a confined area yeah yeah um you can't even jump rope 
yeah, they they don't they have the the bare essentials. They when they're talking about what they do for fun, one guy's one guy reads like rifle magazines. <laughs> like how many times can you read a rifle magazine for nine months? Didn't they say that he was getting a rifle magazine in like a, a Russian language or something that he couldn't oh, read? Is that right? Oh, that's even more <laughs> miserable. Just so that he could like look at it, look at the guns. <laughs> yeah, um, it snows. It looks like a blizzard hits at one point. That's, I would have logged out. I'm yeah, done. Like, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. Not worth it. Take the house. I'm cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it's just it's just fun to, to, to listen to these people talk about it and clearly see how mind-blowing this was to them. They're like, yeah, like, I... Each time they say, I just could not believe it, like, it's... It, it, it gets me, you know? I, I believe how... Um, sort of momentous this was. Well, I, I like if someone told me that there were three people that had been on a billboard along I five or like Highway nine or five twenty two or something. Yeah. During the snowpocalypse just now, <laughs> I would be like, really? That yeah. is truly fascinating. Yeah. But I would also assume that the guys would be just like um, that guy who's with his wife during the interviews. When he's asked questions, he just goes, "Oh, just a sh- just, just shrug. shrug." Oh, just I the, love it. Yeah, yeah, that's my type of guy. <laughs> yeah, so unassuming, modest. Yeah, he was great. He's he's like, there's nothing to brag about. I lived in a tent. Yeah, yeah, and everyone could see me for like half a year. He's like, you're acting <laughs> like this is my proudest achievement. <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah, him and his wife kind of looking at each other like, you want to tell him? Because <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's fun to watch the two guys have their reunion. Um, I didn't, you know, it, it's kind of fun because we're seeing them talk to each other throughout the dock and we don't realize that this is actually the first time they've seen each other in yeah, until many years. Yeah, until about the end of the dock. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> when we see they're drinking, I think it was Miller Lights, and I'm like, all right. Yeah. You too. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. yourselves. You deserved it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, you know, it's kind of what I look for in a doc, like a really, the story of a really specific event that tells me a little bit about the time, the place, what it was like, um, you know, for these people to live in that time and place. It's kind of like um, a, a full footnote on a, a book about history, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. we just got a full footnote about history in 1982, 1983. Yeah. yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. Totally. Um, Highly recommended for me. You? Yeah, I I liked it. I I wouldn't. I don't think I liked it as much as you. But I Fair certainly enough. think that anyone interested in any sort of history should go spend an hour and twenty minutes yeah. with this, like I Easy did, sit. while I'm working out at the gym and just appreciate it. I, I watched it once again on my phone. Digital yeah. format scaled great. The interviews you know, were fantastic in, on my phone, and I think I finished the last thirty minutes here on my big screen TV and if anything it, it detracted from the quality because it was less confined less tight um, yeah. there's something about when you got headphones in and you're plugged in and you're focused that just increases the quality oh yeah so Most definitely. I, I think that regardless of what venue you are able to watch this and you'll enjoy it and yeah you know make time for it in any part of your daily life you'll know yeah. more about reality and more about history just kick back with a Bud Light you'll feel like one of the gang Miller Light you're right. You're right. Fair enough. 
That's Billboard Boys. On to, quite possibly, the best doc of this episode, if not one of the best docs of 2018. I could not agree more. John McEnroe in the realm of perfection. It'd be easy if people realize that it's, it's, it's me making a statement like, oh, you do your job and I'll do mine, rather than me just complaining for the hell of it. John McEnroe is not the thing that the documentary is about. John McEnroe is the subject in which the documentary seems to inhabit itself. Yes. And that makes for a stunning documentary. It does. Yeah, it's a weird one to describe because it's kind of like a doc about the making of an instructional video about And it tennis. also feels like a commercial instruction video while also feeling like an avant-garde Jean-Luc Godard yeah. art house documentary film Agnes Varda oh yeah David Lynch somehow like it's mm. just it's everything when we go to that stick figure animation oh yeah it's like mm. what the fuck is even <laughs> happening right now yes it is a uh, a nice onion of a doc you can kind of peel back the layers and talk about each one you can talk about this doc you can talk about the doc that's being made within this doc the instructional video part um yeah I thought it was fascinating it was not at all what i was expecting i thought this was just a john mcenroe doc an artful one but just a john mcenroe doc it is not when it started did you think that you were watching the wrong thing oh i thought it was a very real possibility i did as well i was like i'm gonna give it more time but i think this is probably not the correct thing loaded i thought it was either wrong or it was just gonna suck because it looked like I don't know, just just old instructional tennis footage, and, and I was like, and it had nothing to do with John McEnroe, so yeah. it was like something's, something's off. Ooh, this is gonna be rough. Yeah, yeah, um, and then yeah, it translated I, itself into the highest form of art. Most definitely, I was I was quite riveted by it, um, and uh, feel it was kind of revelatory i mean i think this is as as much to me about uh just the cinematic form as it is about tennis or john McEnroe. um the way it's kind of showing how just through new angles and new um unconventional shot compositions um content that's super familiar to us like a tennis match can um appear totally new and that's what a great filmmaker does is they look at um, new ways to tell a story that we've probably heard some variation of before. What did you think about it when they said that they were shooting at 120 frames per second on 16 millimeter? Oh, I don't think I even remember that. Yeah. Look, it's a good looking doc. It it looks really good. I I mean, I've seen three shorts from the 1890s mm. that are slow motion shorts. Oh, yeah. But they are essentially photographs that are stitched together and then flipped during projection. Yeah. That are consequently shown as slow motion docs. I I think that from a technical standpoint, this is the earliest footage I've ever seen digitally projected and edited in a way where you could say the film has now become a slow motion film. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. It, It looks great. It's the best looking tennis match you'll ever see. Yeah, but I mean, like, just to think about, like, okay, so the first time 
people were capturing slow motion images that could be adapted for film, even if it is a documentary film, or a tennis documentary in the 1980s. Right? We're talking 16, 15 years before The Matrix goes into production and releases. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love the uh, connection or the through line it kind of draws between, you know, where the French Open is played and the uh, photography experience, uh, experiments from, you know, like the, the late 19th century where, uh, I don't remember the name of the photographers who were, you know, um, doing, you know, objects in motion kind of studies and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Just this great little connection between well, I think it's um, the, the spaces. You're talking about the seen. 1800s? Yeah, the, like 1890s. Yeah. So it's the Edison Company, the Lumiere Brothers, um, and then, what's his name? Uh, Jean Melier. I don't it think it. I, I don't think it was like one that. of those three big names who were doing these particular studies because I thought these guys were looking at like um, things that weren't visible to the eye. They were the photos were of like radio waves and that kind of thing. They oh, were really like, okay. Yeah, um, and you're talking early 1900s, late 1800s. Yeah, I think he's. I think he said it was 1890s. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, French for sure. I don't remember the guy's name. Um, huh. but uh, yeah, the first yeah. thing I think about is Jean Melier or um, the Lumiere brothers. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it looked to me like more of a scientific experiment than like the you know, horse kind of well, I guess even the horse kind of thing that the I, um, I mean, have you Melier seen the horse doing? in motion or yeah. the um, the javelin in motion oh, or yeah. the athlete in motion? You know, those are yeah, very simplistic yeah. works that are yeah. still transitory in you know, oh, yeah. cinema. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the guy clearly knows his cinema history. He does. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it's never over overly academic. Like, I think this is... Uh, but it's just the right amount of academia. Yeah. It feels like a good Cinephiliacs episode. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. It. Like, you're like, okay, I'm learning some stuff about film history, some stuff about tennis history. But I'm also spending time in, like, the realm of perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kept kind of, like, interpreting or just reading it in different ways. Like, okay, like, in one sense, I can kind of think about McEnroe as an artist in pursuit of perfection. I can also kind of think about, not the documentary of John McEnroe, but the documentary filmmaker who made this instructional video, almost kind of, like, as a film critic in a way, like, the way a film critic can kind of find a new angle to look at a particular text and reveal something new about it he's saying like let's abandon these old ways of making an instructional video and shoot a live match in a new way and this is the documentary where he begins to talk about how film criticism means the creation of time correct well i think that is like what one of the film critics who we learn about um, discusses within this documentary, right? But I don't. As. I don't think the critic who uh, who talked about that was the one who was actually making this instructional uh, video. Agreed. But I think that the guy who's making this video, who's making the film, <laughs> rather, yeah. is using that tool. To oh, make, gotcha, to, gotcha. To embody what he's doing with the documentary. Ah, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, there's, um, I, I don't remember who said this, but there's a, a UFC trainer 
or an MMA trainer rather, who said that there's four different types of fighter, the artist, the athlete, the um, competitor, and then there's another one. And and when I watch mm. John McEnroe, I, I feel like if, if that's true of fighting, that's true of tennis maybe, and that he's mm. an artist. And that a lot of the people mm. we're seeing footage of seem to be athletes, but what mm. he's doing feels like art. Ah. And that that might just be how well it's captured, the ah. way that it's captured. But it it feels like you're watching an artist more than you're watching ah. an athlete perform. Yeah, that's interesting. You were that's interesting. You were more drawn to to McEnroe as an artist. I kept thinking about like the maker of this. No, I was thinking about both. Video. But I mean, yeah. when you're when you're watching McEnroe, and you're not when you're watching this documentary and you're not zooming over to see what the next um, resolution focus recommendation is yeah. from the uh, guy who's shooting across the way from you, you're watching McEnroe and half the time you're thinking about like what a stunning shot this is and what they're doing with the slow motion editing, especially when they're rewinding it and replaying it. But the other half for me is like, this dude is performing like a monster. Yeah, like that yeah. serve over and over and over and over again, and that introduction of him serving, where yeah. it's not him doing the same serve over and over, it's the style of his serve in multiple occasions being super cut together. Yeah, that looks like art to me. That's like yeah. watching a great calligraphist. Yeah, yeah. Despite you know all of these sort of uh, you know um, cinematic. Uh, essay writing that they're kind of doing they never just let you forget about the fact that this guy was just remarkable like it is still a doc about McEnroe because that's what this footage reminds he, us of he is the subject of the footage being depicted yeah he is yeah. the subject of perfection yeah I mean I would still say if you're interested in John McEnroe I would still tell you to watch the documentary just because there's a lot going on I don't think it yeah. ever drifts too it, it can't drift far away from it um yeah, I, uh, I I think there's uh, just it's just denser than I thought it would be, um, and just great to look at the score or not really the score, but the music was often just uh, spot on, sublimely um, edited. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. e- even though it's an hour and a half, did you feel exhausted like halfway through? It does feel long because it does in a way it feels like you're seeing the same kind of footage over and D- over. Does it feel long or does it feel dense? Both. I mean, okay. it did feel long to, to me, to not me, in a bad way, but... It, it, I I mean, I guess maybe density is the same thing as feeling long, mm. but I was just like, this is just too much. My mind needs a break. Like, I, I yeah. had to take a little bit of a break. Uh, I watched it earlier today, ah. and I just took, like, a 15-minute break. I just had to go do something else to let myself process all the stuff that I was just yeah. taking in. <laughs> yeah, it's a sign of a great doc, and there's just lots to chew on, and it's uh, all very entertaining at the same time. I am an enormous fan, and I'm pretty sure this did not get nominated for an Oscar, which makes me very, very skeptical. Yeah, let's just go there. So nominations-wise, not that the Oscars are everything, but... They're basically nothing. Let's just do it. We got RBG of Fathers RBG and Sons. RBG made it? Yeah. Over Won't You Be My Neighbor. Yeah. I still haven't seen RBG, so I, I, I cannot comment. cannot fairly comment. For best documentary, we have Free Solo, Hale County, This Morning, This Evening, RBG, Minding the Gap, 
and of fathers and sons. There we go. Are there any you would personally swap out? Absolutely. John McEnroe for RBG. Mm. Won't You Be My Neighbor for RBG. Mm. Basically anything for RBG, because it's not a very good documentary. It is not... Um, it, it does not have a multi-pronged stance. Mm. It is all about venerating someone um, who, you know, she's going through medical difficulties right now. So we all like hope she's doing all right. And, and mm. you know, she's kind of becoming a, you know, a modern day saint. Yeah. Yeah. Which she's des- definitely transcending her. The, I don't value those documentaries. I value more um, documentaries that are scrutable where you're showing me the bad policies, the bad votes that, that she did, which she did have, which she did support really poor policies and bad ideas at certain points in her career. Um, and I think that she's on the record of a few votes that she would take back and change. And the fact mm. that that documentary never does any of that, and it's just basically proselytizing demo- democratic values based on CNN's agenda, Mm. I think it's a very poor documentary in comparison to other more artistic, broad pieces such as McEnroe or even the mm. more narrow-focused, really positive Won't You Be My Neighbor. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's a good documentary, but it's in that three realm instead mm. of that three and a half, four. Like, it's not that otherworldly thing. The footage yeah. we get is good, but it's not um, focused enough to be respectable. Yeah. What's your guess? What will win? That gap is going to be minded. I think uh, it's his to lose. It's that's, his to that's, lose. That's my guess, and uh, I feel pretty good about that. And with that, Bing Lu will become the next Jordan Peele. Ooh. So it is said. So Bold it is words. Written. I like it. Go, Bing, go. Go, Bing, go. It's a good spot to end it on. Thanks. So. Rooting for Bing. Rooting for Bing. Go, Bing. Go. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! Doc Talk Part 2, that's a wrap, folks.